Father, thank you. Another beautiful day. Thank you for our study this morning. And thank you, Lord, for the time that we have to worship you, Lord, on this Sabbath day. And we pray, God, that you would just continue to enjoin us and to share your presence with us as we speak your word. And we'll give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to speak to you on the subject, yes, we can. Yes, we can. I'd like to read a quote by Victoria Boyson. She wrote a book called Awakening the Deep Sleep. The deep sleep has blinded the bride of Christ, catching them on a wheel of unending routine, governed by the concerns of their own heart, leading them nowhere. I'll read that again. The deep sleep. We talk about the deep state. It's the deep sleep in the church. Has blinded the bride of Christ, catching them on a wheel of unending routine, governed by the concerns of their own heart, leading them nowhere, end of quote. I think that's pretty explicit and understandable. God is trying to awaken Zion. I want to give you two words this morning, two definitions. The first definition is the word breakthrough. It's an act of overcoming or penetrating an obstacle or restriction. It's a military offensive that penetrates an enemy's line of defense. It's a major achievement or success that permits further progress, breakthrough. Then there's another word, it's called breakout. To become manifest suddenly and in full force. To burst forth or out, to erupt, to explode, to break loose and leave suddenly as from confinement or from a difficult or threatening situation. Breakout means to abscond, to decamp, to escape. It means to flee or get away. In layman's terms, it means to fly the coop and cut and run. Give someone the slip. Make a getaway. Take flight. And as we've been learning about the giants that God wants us to defeat, we must not only break through, but we must break out from the giants in our life. Amen. In 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spoke, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. 
So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron. And King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. I want you to look at the first verse again when it said, they came all. This was a united family. Judah and Israel was now united under King David. As a matter of fact, they were so united that they said, behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. We are thy bone and thy flesh. There was vision here. There was hope that a group of people came together to work under the auspices of God and under the leadership of David. Vision produces hope. It produces an environment of creativity and power. David was a proven leader. He was anointed by God. He was steady and consistent. And he knew how to work with other people. Our church and our family should thus so be run. We should come together, all of us, as a family, bone and thy flesh. We are bone and thy flesh. And we should come together under a leader whose name is Jesus. And Jesus has been a proven leader in our life. He is anointed. He is steady. He is consistent. And he knows how to work with each and every one of us. Something happened concerning Judah and Israel. I want to take you back to the book of Joshua, chapter 15 and verse 63. And it says this, And as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, listen carefully, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Israel unto this day. What is this saying? This was saying that Judah, the tribe of Judah, could not drive out an enemy that God said he would defeat if they would work with God. I wrote these words. Deal with it now, or deal with it later, or choose not to deal with it at all. Deal with it now, deal with it later, or choose not to deal with it at all. In the book of Judges, chapter 1, and verse 19 through 21, it said, And the Lord was with Judah, the tribe, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites, there are those Jebusites again, that inhabited where? Jerusalem. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. And that was the book of Judges chapter 1. Who were 
the Jebusites. Jerusalem was considered a stronghold. Jerusalem was considered a pocket of power and control for the Jebusites. The word Jebusites means to be defiant. It means to be proud. Their name means to trample down underfoot. It means to loathe people, to hate them. It means to pollute people. Jebusites were in control of Jerusalem. David was in Hebron. He brought together Judah and Israel, but he wanted a capital city. He wanted a neutral place that Israel couldn't claim and Judah couldn't claim, but that they could go to that place and worship God freely, all together, to worship their Lord and their God. The Bible tells us here that Judah failed because of the iron chariots. You see, they had foot soldiers, and they were able to take one area of Jerusalem, but they failed to take the stronghold and the fortress that was built by the Jebusites, they failed to defeat them. They failed to take out the fortress of the city and it remained a stronghold. And they failed to remember what God had already told them that they could win with him on their side. You see what happened? God withdrew his support from the tribe of Judah, he withdrew their support because of a few things. Lack of faith, lack of trust in him, and they only went so far, and then they quit. They became lazy. Because they saw the iron chariots and they said, we cannot defeat the iron chariots. We have only foot soldiers. But they failed to remember what God had told them in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. It says this, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, hmm, Sounds like victory. Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly." But thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. God already told them to go into the land and possess it and that he would cause them to defeat the nations that would oppose them. This is plain black and white scripture. This is what God said to them. God was not lying to them. The moral of the story, Judah, the tribe, could not take out the Jebusites. And the moral of the story is this. Don't let the enemy hang around. 
Don't give the opposing team an opportunity to win. Take them out. Yes, come on. We let the enemy hang around. We, are, we let the enemy linger. And not only that, but we give the enemy opportunity to make a comeback and overcome us and win the game. You can't sit on your leaves. You can't go on a maintenance program. You can't settle. You can't straddle the fence and stay in the middle. Because the opposing enemy is always on the march. He is a roaring, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's at work. He's busy. He knows his time is short. So let us go to something here. Let us go to 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 6. And the king... Now Judah and Israel are united. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites. The inhabitants of the land... Which spake unto David, we're having a conversation now, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking, David cannot come in hither. The enemy proclaims, you cannot win, you will not be able to overcome us, we control Jerusalem, it's our bulwark, it's our tower, it's our fortress, it's our city of fortress, and you will not be able to penetrate. In the message version of that same verse, 2 Samuel 5, 6, it says this. David and his men immediately set out for Jerusalem to take on the Jebusites who lived in that country. But they said, you might as well go home. Even the blind and the lame can keep you out. You can't get in here. They had convinced themselves that David could not break through. Isn't that exactly what the enemy does to us and convinces us? You can't overcome that situation. That situation will never work out for you. You can never have healing. You can never have recovery. You can never have restoration. Just stay the way you are. Because you can't even defeat the blind and the lame. And he's doing the same thing that Goliath did to the children of Israel when he taunted them and persecuted them and went bad on the name of God. The enemy does that to the church today. He taunts us. He challenges us. And he says, I've got more power than you. And you can't take me out. I'm an overcomer over against you. (laughs) And the church lays down and accepts the fact that we cannot defeat the powers of the enemy and we let him stay in control and continue to win the game. David has a decision because David was given a word from God why he wanted Jerusalem. I said David was privy to why God wanted him to take out the Jebusites. It's called breakthrough. It's called breaking out and capturing the city of fortress. In 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 7, it says this. David didn't pay attention to the Jebusites. He didn't pay attention to their taunting. He didn't pay attention to their nonsense talk. He didn't pay attention to their trash talk as we have today in 
sports. He said, guess what, fellas? I'm coming for you. And you know why? You see, I did kill the bear. I did kill the lion. And I did kill Goliath through the power of God. And I'm coming for you. Because the same power that was on me in those days as a 17-year-old boy is still upon me because I have been anointed king, praise God, of Israel. Judah and Israel have come together. We are one family marching toward one goal and we will have Jerusalem as our capital city. Amen. Nevertheless, 2 Samuel 5 and 7 says, David took the stronghold of Wisdom of Zion, the same as the city of David. He took the stronghold. And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter, and smiteth the Jebusites, and the lame, and the blind, that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into this house. To make that understandable, the message version says this, But David went right ahead and captured the fortress of Zion known ever since as the city of David. That day, David said, to get the best of these Jebusites, one must target the water system, not to mention the so-called lame and blind bunch that David hates. In fact, he was so sick and tired of it, people coined the expression, no lame and blind allowed in the palace, the message version. What was going on here? This was the last pocket of resistance of the Canaanites. This was the last pocket of power and control because all the other nations were defeated. But there was one thing in the way that was impeding what David wanted to accomplish because the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen. And David wanted to place the Ark of the Covenant which represents the presence of God in a neutral place called the city of Jerusalem. But he had to take out the Jebusites in order to do that and then go after the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back home to Jerusalem. Because without the presence of God, David knew that there would be no success for Judah and for Israel. What is a stronghold? Well, we've all seen fishing boats that put down the big nets to catch the fish. The fish are caught in the stronghold. A stronghold is simply this, a fortress or besieging tower. It's a bulwark. It's a snare. It's a castle. It's a defense. It's a stronghold or a place. The Jebusites were very proud that they had power and control over Jerusalem. But David said, guess what? We're coming. Now the Bible doesn't really tell us the mechanism, the agenda, the way that he attacked the water system and how he defeated the Jebusites, the word of God is kind of scanty on how this defeat took place. The defeat of the Jebusites. It's a little scanty on how the victory took place. But here's what we do know. In 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 9, it says this, So David dwelt in the fort. <clears throat> Guess what? He penetrated the castle. He broke through and broke out and took out the power of the Canaanites and took out the power of the Jebusites. He took out their power and control. 
Because it was that thing, it was those people that were impeding him from doing what he, what God told him to do to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem. Follow me. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 9, in the message version, it says this, David made the fortress city his home and named it the city of David. He developed the city from the outside terraces inward. Now the question this morning is, what is your Jerusalem? What is your Jerusalem? What's impeding you from a greater presence of God in your life? Because the Ark of the Covenant is out there. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of Almighty God. So what stands between us and the so-called Ark of the Covenant? What stands between us and the presence and power of God that the enemy is trying to impede our entrance into? That there's a stronghold in our life, which is our Jerusalem. What is it in our life that God wants us to break through and break out from so that we can get a better and a clearer and a more uh, dense and substantive word and presence from God as we enter into His presence? What's stopping us? The question is, what is your Jerusalem? The question is this, what is your stronghold? What has a hold on you? What has a fort or a castle or a defense that you cannot penetrate? That God says we can penetrate and that we we can overcome and we can be victorious. And the question is this, what does your Jerusalem represent once it's liberated? What did this Jerusalem represent once it was liberated from the Jebusites? It represented a place where people can go and worship God without being impeded by a giant called the Jebusites who would impede their entrance into the holy city. And the question this morning is, what is our Jerusalem? And what is our stronghold? And once that stronghold is liberated, what does it look like? Once there's a breakthrough, once there's a breakout, what does your Jerusalem now represent? What it represents to me is a meeting place. What it means means to me is a central place of worship. What it means to me, it's where God and you and I meet together with Him. Whether it's individually or collectively as a church or as a family. That's where we keep our unity. That's where we keep the presence of Almighty God. And when the Jebusites come into our marriages, when the Jebusites come into our family, when the Jebusites come into our church, all of a sudden the Ark of the Covenant is no longer clear to us and the presence of God gets a little muddy and before you know it, there's something in between Him and us. You follow? We have to defeat whatever our Jerusalem represents. Because in those days it represented a place of power and control. You see, this place that David wanted to create for God and for the people was a central place of worship. It was a meeting place. It's where God met with his people. You see, everything spirals out from the center, which is the presence of God. The world does not revolve around us. The world revolves around the presence of God if we're Christians. And everything, praise God, listen, spirals out from the center. But when we can't get to the center where the Prince of Peace abides, when we can't get to the center where the anointing of God is, when we can't get to the center where the sweet smell of fragrance is, when we can't get to the center and be anointed with the fresh oil of heaven 
and his Jebusites trying to interfere with our entrance into the Holy of Holies, we must defeat the Jebusites. We must defeat those strongholds. We must break through and break out, praise God, so that we have liberation and we have freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth. Come on. Hmm. That's pretty good stuff. Thank you, Lord. You see, it was important for David to capture and take out the stronghold or the fortress. Because this is what was happening. That fortress that the Jebusites were in control of was preventing him from establishing Jerusalem as the place of unity and as the place of God's presence. Think how important Jerusalem is today. I said, think how important Jerusalem is today to Israel. (laughs) I want to say that one more time. David freed Jerusalem. Look how important Jerusalem is to the Middle East today. It's the topic of discussion. The Jebusites want back in. The Canaanites want back in. The giants want back in. They're banging on the door. And one day they will surround the city. Thinking they can win. But the great prince of peace. And the great bishop of our soul. Who will forever take out their power and control that they think they have over Jerusalem. You see, David had this in mind. I need to bring back the Ark of the Covenant that was taken and bring it back to a neutral place so people can enjoy the presence and the worship of Almighty God. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1 says this. And David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. David set out to bring back the Ark of the Covenant to the city of Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel... Chapter 6 and verse 17, it tells us that David succeeded in bringing the ark back. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed Among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his own house. And that's in the ESV version. What's going on here? What great stronghold, we have to ask ourselves, is preventing us to a greater portion of God's presence and God's blessing? What's impeding your journey to receive more of the presence of God 
and more of the blessings of God? Or are we just satisfied to settle for what we have? It's a question. Are we just satisfied to settle for where we are and what we have? Or do we have a desire to fight against every enemy that would try to impede our families, our church, our relationships, and everything about us? Are we willing to become all that one man that Paul spoke to the church at Ephesus about, that we would become so tight as an army of God that we would defeat the powers of evil that would come against us in the name of the Lord God? It's no time to get tired. It's no time to sit. It's no time to contemplate or procrastinate. It's time to fight and wage a war against the powers of evil that are trying to prevent us to have a central location, whether it's our home, our heart, or our church, to worship our God. We have to ask ourselves this question. What great stronghold at this very moment is preventing us to a greater portion of God's presence and blessings. Did you notice what David did? He was so happy. He was so elated to defeat the enemy. He was so joyful that the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Israel, to Jerusalem, that he rewarded the people And gave everyone a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one to bring home as a remembrance of the victory that God had wrought among them. And he shared the blessing with them all as the king of Israel. He gave them gifts. Because God gave him the greatest gift that he could get the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of Almighty God. He gave gifts to each person because of what great things God had done for him and for the people. That's why he says, my cup runneth over in Psalm 23. Because David knew how to bless. Now let me tell you, If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 10, God's greatness in David's life inspired others to come toward him. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 5 and 10, And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messages to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he exalted his kingdom for the people Israel's sake. What was God doing here? God was saying, David, because I've blessed you, and you've blessed others, I'm going to inspire other people to be a blessing to you. You know, you can't outgive God. That's right. 
I said, you cannot outgive God. And when you bless other people, whatever way you choose to bless them, I guarantee you by by God's word that God will give back to you as a child of God. Unity and vision. You see, they were all together. They defeated the Jebusites. Unity and vision attracts other people. Breaking out brings courage and boldness to other people that another king would come down the road and say, you know what? I've seen the greatness of God in your life. I've seen the blessings of the Lord in your life, David. I've seen the presence of the Almighty in your life. And I want to just come and bring you some cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And and guess what? I just want to build you a house. And it was no two-bedroom house in the suburbs. It was a king's house. And isn't it funny how God is building you a house? In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, thank you, God. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Oh, hallelujah. He's got the golden hammer and he's building you and me a house. He's building you a house. Not a shack. Not a lean-to, not a tent, not a pup tent. We're not going to be camping out. He knows I don't like that. <laughs> camping out for me is going to the Holiday Inn and going down to the buffet. All you campers, God bless you. I like sleeping on a bed, not on the dirt floor. That's just me. What's God saying? God's greatness in David's life inspired other people. Unity and vision. When we work together, it inspires others. God's presence in our life is the key to breakthrough, breakout, and an overcoming life. Look what it says in Psalm 46 and 1. This is the God that's on our side. This is the God that's on your side. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, will will not we fear? We will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. God is on our side. I said God is on our side. We're not serving a feeble God that can't walk, or can't talk, or can't see. We're not serving a God that's asleep on vacation somewhere. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. He's as close as our right hand. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Praise God. Just like Judah and Israel, when they came together, they said, we're bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. And that's exactly what we are. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Come on. Psalm 48, 1 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. 
beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that lives within me. That's the God that lives within you. And the enemy comes and knocks on our door and he tries to oppose the God that lives in us. He tries to say, hey, you have no power. Wait a minute. You don't know what you're talking about. The book of Revelation tells me in Revelation 3.12, and we can only read this verse knowing that we have the presence of God inside. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go, go no more out, and I will write his name upon the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Guess what? There's a city coming down. Hallelujah. It's called the city of Jerusalem, and it's going to split the Mount of Olives in half, and thank God, that's going to be the city where the love of God and the sunshine of God will need no lights, will need no electric, because the Son of God will light up the city. We don't serve a weak God. The Jebusites are challenging in our lives. The giants are challenging in our lives. The giants actually come and think they can knock on the door where God lives in our heart and in our churches and in our families and say, I'm going to get you. You can threaten us all you want. But let me remind you of what happened over 2,000 years ago. Okay? It was Friday, but Sunday did come. And he did rise from the dead. Hallelujah. And he came out of those mummy clothes. And he rose again. Because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And because he lives, I can live also. The Bible says in Revelation 3.12 in the message version, it says, I'll make each conqueror a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, a permanent position of honor. Then I'll write names on you, the pillars, the name of my God, the name of God's city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and my new name. What's our profession? What's our confession? We talk ourselves out of the blessings of God sometimes. We allow the enemy to delude us with his lies as he did when he went into the Garden of Eden and he tricked and deceived and he lied to Adam and Eve. And that same enemy is still around, knowing the time is short. And he tries to come to us and says, you'll never overcome. You'll never beat me. I've got you. And unfortunately, sometimes as Christians, we allow him to stay in our life. And we allow him to communicate with our spirit with, through thoughts. And we entertain nonsense. When God says we are overcomers, he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's the word of God or it's not the word of God. It's either true or it's a lie. It's either the promise of God or God lied to me. I can. I will. Break through. Break out. Anything that's trying to impede me from the presence of Almighty God, whether it's attitude, whether it's habit, whether it's people, places, or things, I'm coming through. I've boarded the train. Hallelujah. The 
The locomotive is working. Hallelujah. I can see the smoke coming out. I can see the lights on. And praise God, I boarded the train. And guess what? I'm on a ride with Jesus. And I know that that ride has power. And I'm an overcomer in the army of God. Our confession has to change. Our operating image has to change. Our profession has to change. Because it's too negative. I said it's too negative. It must be based on the promises of Almighty God. We can't talk ourselves out of the blessings of God. Because there's so many blessings that God wants to give us that we haven't even taken yet from Him. Because He loves us. Just like King David blessed the people with gifts. God wants to do the same with you because you're His child. And what parent doesn't want to give good gifts to his children? Jesus said, even those of us that were evil as parents before we came to Christ, he says, we gave good gifts unto our children. We didn't give them stones. We didn't give them snakes. How much more does your heavenly father want to give you good gifts? But what do we do? Oh, I'm not worthy, God. Oh, I did bad things. Oh, I don't deserve that. Oh God, give it to someone else in need. There's more people, more in need than me. Oh, be quiet. You're hurting him. You're offending the word. His presence wants to come to you and, and bless your socks off so you can go bless someone else's socks off so that you can attract inspiration with the other people. It's not yours anyway. When you die, you ain't taking it with you. My mom always said, there's no pockets in the coffin. (laughs) But when you bless others, it inspires them. Because when you bless someone, you're telling them that you love them and you care about them and you want to give them something special from your heart. Amen. That came from God. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? I can. It means to be strong. It means to have power as shown by extraordinary deeds. It means to exert or to wield power. To have strength to overcome. It means to be a force. This is not Star Wars. This is not Spider-Man. This isn't Superman power. This is Jesus' power. This is God's power. This is power that created the heavens and the earth. This is the power that put every star. This is the power that, praise God, wakes up the trees in the spring and puts leaves back on the tree. This is the power that wakes up the tulips that are in the ground all winter that are full of snow but pop through. Praise God. Yellow and blue and, and red and so on and so forth. Tulips. How does God awaken the dead in the earth? The same way he's going to awaken the dead, praise God, hallelujah, when the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ, praise God, shall rise first, hallelujah, that's the power of God, he's resurrection. Yes, come on, he's alive, hallelujah. When people talk about God, I say, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the God of power? The God of might? The God of greatness? Which God are you talking about? Because when you talk, it feels like your God is impotent. He has no power. He has no ability. 
When the Word of God says, I can, I can do what? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. What does it mean? It means strengthen means to enable me. When I'm weak, He is strong. The word strengthen means to endure with strength, to be bold. It means to have the inherent divine power of God. It's a power residing in us that we receive the virtue of God into our being. And praise God, I can do all things when I receive that virtue of God. I can be healed. I can recover. I can be restored. I can do great things for God. I can do great exploits as the prophet Daniel said. We can't lay down. We can't just accept defeat. We cannot allow the Jebusites to come back in the fourth quarter and throw a touchdown and beat us 21-20. We can't go to the bottom of the ninth inning winning 3-0 and the bases voted and give up a grand slam home run and lose the game 4-3 in the ninth inning. No, we cannot do that. We must fight for our children, fight for our grandchildren, fight for our posterity, fight for your money, fight for your social life, fight for your emotions, fight for your spiritual life, fight for your, for your family, fight for your church. People get behind pulpits and they have these little cutesy sermonettes. I'm not with cutesy. I'm with the word of God that has preserved my life as a Christian for 45 years. And I can tell you battle after battle after battle my wife and I and my family have faced. The Jebusites try to take us out. The Canaanites try to take us out. The Hittites, the Perizzites, all those down, they try to take you out. But thank God, God stepped in and said, no, I don't think so. That's my child. That's my son. That's my family. That's my anointed preacher of God. That's my man of God. That's the servant of the Lord. People have stopped fighting and we've just accepted status quo. Oh, it is what it is. No! Don't drive me crazy with that talk. It is what it is. God can change whatever it is. Because He is I am. I said He is I am. Jesus said in Mark 10, 27, as I come to a conclusion. And Jesus looking unto them said, with men, it's impossible. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. What's that mean? It means to be capable. The word possible means capable, strong, and powerful. The word possible means to be mighty, excelling in something, having something Having power for something. Listen, I want to tell you a story. And I I, I said this in the prison church yesterday. I didn't preach this sermon, but this same thing came up. And I I wasn't in agreement so much with Robert Schuller's theology. But he had this grand idea to build a glass church. (laughs) Who in the world would ever think of building a glass church? (laughs) A church made out of glass. That's the craziest idea you ever heard in your whole life. So he set out and went to an architect and said, I have a vision to build a glass church. Well, the architect said, that's impossible. Robert Schuller knew 
what the architect was going to say. He brought a dictionary with him, had it in his pocket, handed the architect the dictionary, and said, look up the word impossible in my dictionary. The architect looked up the word impossible, and Robert Shula cut out the word impossible <laughs> in his dictionary. He said, that's not in my dictionary. And the architect had to look at him and say, you are a crazy man. <laughs> so you know what he did? You know how he built the church? You know how he did it, John? He sold one window at a time. <laughs> Want to buy a window? Would you like to buy a window? Would you like to buy a window? That's how he built it. And then if I remember correctly, this man in Michigan, a millionaire, a multimillionaire, called him up on the phone, the secretary did, and said, Mr. So-and-so would like to meet with you. He didn't know this guy from a hole But he heard about the glass defeat. It's where Robert Shula says, you know, when a multimillionaire wants to meet with you, you fly from California and you go to Michigan and you meet the multimillionaire because you don't know what he wants. You at least should have a conversation with him, have a cup of coffee, and maybe a sandwich. Here's the pastor at Envelope. One million dollar gift to build your glass church. That was not the only time that Robert Schuller received a one million dollar gift to help build the glass cathedral. He built it. The architect said it's impossible. You know, with God, all things are possible. All things, that's right. With God, all things are possible. The children of Israel had mountains to the side and the Egyptians to their back and they're looking at the sea saying, we don't have a boat. <laughs> we don't have the ferry. <laughs> Staten Island wasn't discovered yet. <laughs> no ferry. <laughs> How are you going to get across? The stupidest thing in the whole world. That you, we, we would think stupid. Moses, raise your stick. <laughs> what? Raise your rod, man. Go ahead. Because those people behind you, three million strong, they want to take you out. Because they're already saying, there's no way out. Mountains to the side, the gypsies in the back, the soldiers are coming on chariots. So what did Moses do? He just raised the rod. And guess what happened? A great wind came through. Some people said, oh, that's not true. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what backslidden preachers say. It doesn't matter what people who don't believe in the word of God. Guess what? It's separated. And they went across. And then when they went across and the Egyptians followed, praise God, Moses! Wow! Guess what? The chariot wheels came off. And guess what? The enemy army, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, Pharaoh, and all those people were drowned, praise God, underwater. Yes, hallelujah. It's just easy for God today to do the same thing. There might come a day when you might have to change and pray water into gasoline. Don't look at me cross-eyed. You might have to go to your water that you get from some lake somewhere and say, God, I need some gasoline. And the Lord might just say to your son, just pray, praise God. I turn water into wine. Why can't we turn water into gasoline so your car can God threw pancakes out of heaven for a long time. God threw 
threw some quail and some meat, praise God. He didn't go hunting. He just threw it out. The bakery was going on there 24-7. He was throwing out pancakes on their doorstep. Then he threw out quail. Said, you want some meat? I'll give you meat. So you don't want to be vegans? Good. God said, I believe in meat too. Here's some quail. Here's some meat. See, I can do all things through Christ. And then God comes along with Paul the Apostle to the church at Rome and he blows my mind and he says this. Nay, in Romans 8.37, nay, in all these things, what things? The things of life. The things that come against us. The Jebusites, the strongholds, the cities, the fortresses. Nay, in all these things, listen to the words now, we are more. Oh, come on now, people. It doesn't say we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him that loves us. It says what? It says more. We sit there like we're such weak human beings, like we have no power, like we have nothing to say, like we're nobodies. I used to be a nobody, but God made me a somebody. And he put my name on the Lamb's book of life, and I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm called a son of the most high God. More. Oh, come on, pal, pa- pastor. No, you come on. If you want to walk through life just weak and feeble, if you're happy with a hot dog, knock yourself out. I want the package. And I want all beef. I don't need no chicken parts and whatever parts and you know what other parts and I don't even know what I'm eating. Man, I go and I want all beef. I look real closely without the nitrates. Thank you, little sister. <laughs> she with me all the way. Look at that little girl. She with me all the way. She's with me on there. Look at her. I'm watching. Conquerors. You know what it is to be more than a conqueror? To gain a surpassing victory. Over, beyond, and more than. Ah, oh, come on, folks. It means to conquer, to come off victorious, not to walk in a room like we're a broken down car on the side of the road with four boxes under the wheels that have been stolen. Too many of us walk around decrepit. We walk around like God is not in control or evident in our life. As I close, with the words from Isaiah the prophet, in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, here's a question. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And thank God, hallelujah, I've got that God down on the inside of me, hallelujah, where he says, I can walk and not faint. 
It's marvelous how Caleb said at 85 years old, give me this mountain. He waited over 40 years to go take that mountain because of 10 spies that said we can't. And he said with Joshua we can't, but he had to wait over four decades. And that's why Moses rewarded him with that land because Moses promised him that land many, many years before and said, that's your land, Caleb. Moses was 80 years old at the burning bush, my friend. And he got his marching orders from God. I'm just waiting for mine. At 70. Because the God that saved me 45 years ago is still the God that's in my life today. The God that anointed me 45 years ago is still the God that anoints me today. And I give him the glory and the honor. This is the greatest time to be alive. This is the greatest moment in history. And this should be the greatest moment for the church and for its people. Yes, we can. The Jebusites shake their finger at David and said, no, 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 you can't come in here. And David said, don't you dare shake your finger at me. Because I know who I am. I killed a bear. I killed a lion. I took out Goliath. I've won many wars. David was the greatest general in the Old Testament. And he said, if you think your fortress is impenetrable, watch me. And he went in and he took them out. Because you know what David said? Yes, we can. It's like there's five seconds left. The game is tied. The basketball team comes down the court. And Marv Albert is the announcer. And they're dribbling. And he shoots. And yes! That's what Marv Albert says. Yes! Three points! And they win the game! Yes! And every time the Jimmy Sites shake their finger in your face and say, You can't, God says, don't you dare shake your finger in my child's face. Don't you dare shake your finger in my daughter's face or my son's face. Because you know what? I have no idea what you're dealing with. You're dealing with the power and the virtue of God that went out of Jesus and healed that woman who was sick for 12 years. That's the same virtue that's in you today. We are more accomplished through him that loves us. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Amen.